You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of The Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Errol Biggie Marks. And on the board, my co-host, my partner in crime, Speedy the Man Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. The weather here on Long Island is just absolutely ridiculous. I love the cold, but the rain, a little bit of snow, instead of these flurries, I want to get these blizzards. I don't like driving in the weather, but... It is beautiful, and it's Christmas time. I was going to say, why don't you wait for after the holidays when people are traveling for the blizzard? I like it during the holidays because all right, let it then, snow, let it snow, right, yes, let it the, snow. Have the blizzard on Christmas then you know, when Santa people aren't traveling. Santa needs to see the snow coming down. That's Use fair. Rudolph, Dancer, and Prancer. And, there you go, uh, three out of eight. I did say Rudolph, too. Yeah, you you know, so uh, yeah I, that counts. I like Rudolph. I'm more like a Dancer Prancer fan. That's why I remember the names. The other one, I think Blitzen, right? Vixen Blitzen. Donner, mm. Cupid, and Tyler's else. more of a Donner. Who's the dopey one? Right. Tyler from the Sports Loudmouth. <laughs> probably, Cupid, probably Cupid's the dopey one for all we know. <laughs> we have a great show lined up for you guys today. We have a special guest. We will be talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner and Analyst Shane Hallam. We'll talk about the Giants and the Jets. Four together first round draft picks this year. Could be top ten. We'll talk about the draft. Some of these players. He actually has his draft class for the next four years. Our buddy Devin Kirkwood. I definitely have to ask him about him and see where he rates him right now. If the season were to end this year, and if he was going into draft, I would love to hear where he would think Devin would be drafted. First, we'll get into obviously the lockout with baseball craziness. There's nothing we have heard yet that this is going to end anytime soon. Now, we're also going to get into the NFL, our free-for-all picks of the week. Speedy, who's in the league? Still you by three. We both got one point last week. There you go. I got the Patriots right. The Patriots winning with three passes. Yes, three passes. And And Mac Jones is rookie of the year in everybody's eyes. Give me a break. And uh, you got the Chargers last week in their blowout win against the Bengals. So we'll get into that. We'll get into the Jets. Zach Wilson's return. The New York Giants. We don't know what's going to happen to Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge. Joe Judge spoke to the press the last week and a half trying to amend his problems with the press. I don't know if anything that he has said to the press in the last couple of weeks is going to save his job, especially the way the Giants have played this year. They're not going to be able to go anywhere now. Now they get to start a third-string quarterback this week. Oh, how wonderful. Daniel Jones getting hurt and not protecting their assets, and and that has a lot to do with Gettleman. They're drafting. We'll get into the league. There's a lot of good games this week, and week 14 flying by. The season's almost over, and then this year we have like 18 weeks, and the Patriots had their longest bye week. The longest any NFL team. Any NFL team, because add the extra game now. Now they expanded the bye weeks to start a little later. They used to have some in week four and week five. It only started into week six, and now it's ending in week 14. We'll get into the Patriots. A lot of people believe Mac Jones is rookie of the year. I do not believe that, no. but there's reasons behind why I don't think. And Mac Jones had a sensational year. To me, out of all the quarterbacks, he's definitely the best quarterback out of all five quarterbacks that were drafted this year. That has yeah. a lot to do with the team, the coach, and the players that he has around. Everybody's going to say, well, he doesn't have any top wide receivers, but he has a really good running game. And you see the difference. When you have a good running game, it hides the deficiencies of the quarterbacks. We'll get into the 
Knicks, who don't look good, they've fallen out of the top 11. They're 12-14. and 14. The Celtics have slowly moved up. The Atlanta Hawks have slowly moved up. The Charlotte Hornets, who we want to lose because the Knicks have their first-round draft pick, is right now sitting at 8. So, doesn't look good for the Knicks. Tom Thibodeau looks like he's going to have a heart attack. There's nothing good to say to press. And I don't blame Tom, but there's a lot of feedback that you have to give to the press on why this team is not winning like they won last year. And this right. is a better team than they were last year. So, it doesn't make any sense. Maybe teams are figuring him out. Maybe he's really wearing out the players like we've seen with the Bulls and he did with the Timberwolves. So there's a lot to talk about with the Knicks. The, the Brooklyn Nets are just unbelievable. They're playing unbelievable basketball. I watched Kevin Durant. He was on that Matt Barnes show. I, I forget <laughs> it's on Showtime. Very interesting on what he said about the fans and what people said about him when he went to the Golden State Warriors. And it was very interesting. Steven Jackson and Matt Barnes, he was their guest. And he was really, really good. And he had a lot to say about what people said about him when he went to the Golden State Warriors because he was the Golden State Warriors when he was there. It wasn't Steph Curry's team. It was Kevin Durant. Right now, MVP of the NBA is Kevin Durant. And the Islanders, who have looked horrible. I don't know what's going on with this team. Barry Trotz is lost for words. He sat Olivier. He hasn't really produced. A guy that they gave a three-year extension, he hasn't really produced. Brock Nelson is out for a significant amount of time. Hulak is out, and they're still dealing with the COVID problems. This is a team that was a Stanley Cup contending team that's now fallen out. It's one of the worst teams in the NHL. Do mm-hmm. I think they're this bad? I don't. No. I think they're a lot better than what they are, but it might be a little too late, and they might have to be looking for next season for a season of hockey because I think they're falling out too far, yeah. and they're playing catch-up. I I don't know if they're going to be able to catch up to those teams. You know you're struggling when the Flyers have lost 10 games in a row and you still haven't surpassed them. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge problem right now for the New York Islanders. As far as the Rangers are concerned, they're playing good hockey. Gerard Gallant, who I met at the Dallas draft with Anthony LaRocca and Filk. Ashley Sarge, if you guys don't know Ashley, works for the NHL. He's done some stuff with the Devils. Now he's like a movie star or whatever. Yes, Next he has time. his features in random TV shows. Yes. What is that? Blue CI? Bloods Blue and Blood. Brooklyn Nine-Nine and something like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you don't even notice him. I mean, he takes a picture. You barely notice him in the background. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he makes like $500. I mean, good for him. But anyways, Ashley introduced me to Gerard Gallant. He also in- introduced me to Scotty Bowman, one of my long-lasting fan favorites when I was a kid. I love Scotty. He was really, really nice. I never got a chance to interview him. He was too busy over there working for Detroit. He's no longer working with Detroit. And now Iserman's running the show over there. Detroit playing good hockey right now. We'll get into hockey, obviously. A lot to talk about. So why don't we get into baseball? And... A lot of Yankee fans are just upset that Brian Cashman has made small moves, but nothing big that really stands out like the New York Mets did with Marte and Max Scherzer. Javier Baez going to Detroit, signing a $140, $130 million contract. I thought it was a steal. The fact that people don't think it was a good signing or he was like the third or fourth best infield talent that was available is ridiculous. To me, I think he was the best. And the Yankees didn't really go after anybody. I mean, we're hearing Carlos Correa's name. We're hearing Freddie Freeman if, if he becomes available. We've also heard some pitchers to be traded, Castillo or something like that. There are players that the Yankees are definitely interested in, and Suzuki, who I've been hearing, looks like it's a foregone conclusion he's going to the Red Sox. So the Red Sox actually traded Renfro, and the reason why they traded Renfro is because they are going after Suzuki. The Yankees are also interested in Suzuki, but not as interested as the Red Sox. So Mm. as the lockout keeps moving forward, it's going to be very interesting knowing where the Yankees are sitting on what Brian Cashman is going to do when this lockout is over. He's going to have to make a lot of moves very quickly because if it ends in March, that means he's got like two weeks to make those moves to fill in spots for the regular season because spring training is going to start right away if it goes all the way to March. 
So the question is, what is Brian Cashman going to do moving forward to make this team better? They're not ready to win right now. This team is not good enough to win right now. This pitching rotation, I think if they add a piece here and a piece there, I think this is a good rotation. They've been a good rotation for the last three or four years. They've been in the top ten almost every single year except last year. They had a bad year. Obviously, Garrett Cole situation with the pine tar and all the other stuff. Cooper, Yeah, he had the no-hitter and then he couldn't stay healthy. That had a lot to do with the Yankees' pitching woes all season long. So I think if they get healthy this year, I think there'll be a top 10 ERA, a top 10 whip. The real problem the Yankees had last year was their bullpen is very weak. This isn't the same bullpen with Wickman and Rivera and Nelson and Stanton. This is not that rotation anymore where you can say, oh, this bullpen is a shutdown bullpen. You have Chad Green, who's going to be arbitrated this year. I think they bring him back. Loisga, these guys are two really good players in that bullpen rotation. As far as Britain... And Chapman, if you can move Zach Britton, I don't know if you could because he had a bad season last year. I think you move Britton in the fifth or sixth inning and hope for the best with Britton. And as far as Chapman is concerned, he's no longer a closer. If you want to move him to the eighth inning, that's something that the Yankees could maybe move Loisica into the closing position. I think Loisica would fit very, very well in the closing position. I think he's looked really, really good. He's been the best in their bullpen for the last two years. The Yankees are going to have to make at least two or three bullpen rotation moves after this lockouts. The Mets, I think, are going to add a little piece here and a little piece there. I don't think they're going to spend that much more money, even though you know what Steve Cohen likes to do. He likes to open up his pockets and spend whatever it takes to win. It hasn't worked in one year. Hopefully, it works this year. The Mets, if they're going to make any moves, it'll probably be for pitching now. I think they have enough with their offense right now, the way this lineup is set. For the Yankees, yeah, bullpen is definitely something they're going to have to address depth for. I wouldn't worry too much in terms of who is a full-time closer or not. I think now with baseball the way modern bullpens work with analytics. I think the art of the pure closer is dying out. Chapman and Britton both were great closers in their peaks, but Britton also pitched in other roles, so I don't think he'll have a trouble transitioning into that if he needs to. Chapman, will see. He did it sometimes with the Cubs. He did it sometimes at the beginning of his career with the Reds, but it's not really something that he's going to have an easy time adjusting to. But I think if the Yankees get enough bullpen depth and enough versatility, they're going to make that kind of thing work because key outs matter more. And getting out of those jams matter more than the art of pure closing. You're seeing that now with a lot of these newer modern bullpens. They don't really have these set closers with the exception of a couple teams. So I wouldn't worry too much about that as long as they get enough pitching depth. And that's what I think the big emphasis Brian Cashman's going to have to look after. In terms of a trade, maybe Castillo's a good idea. You're getting him kind of on a low because he had a really rough start to the beginning of the 2021 season. And this might be a good time to swoop in and try to trade for that kind of thing. However, the rest of the Reds rotation didn't do as well last year, which could give more incentive to keep him. It's going to be very interesting what Brian Cashman is going to pull off when this line is over. I know a lot of Yankee fans, again, are not happy with him. Tyler Harrison, who sits over here every single week on the Sports Loudmouth, complaining that he's the worst GM in baseball. If he becomes available, there will be all 30 semi teams interested in lining up for Brian Cashman. He won't have a job longer than five minutes. So I don't understand why Yankee fans are so easy and willing to say, you know what, we're, we're done with Brian Cashman. We're done with Aaron Boone. Meanwhile, these two guys have done nothing but win. Since they've been here. Not only that, did Tyler see what Dave Dombrowski did to Detroit Tigers? <laughs> if that's not a bad GM job, Brian Cashman has never done anything that bad by they've any means. They've had 30 winning seasons. And, well, you're going to say, well, he wasn't a part of all 30 seasons. Okay, 25 seasons, 26 seasons. Brian Cashman has been the GM of this team, this organization. And to have five championships in that 26-year stint, that's pretty good. That's one championship every five years. That's not bad. I don't understand why Yankee fans are just, like, so heavenly attacking this man 
again like he's the worst GM in baseball because he's not. The Mets are still trying to chase that championship. Oh, by the way, haven't won since 1986. So I don't understand why Yankee fans are so hard on this man. And by the way, if the Yankees really thought that he wasn't doing his job, he'd be gone. Hal Steinberg would fire him. Hal sees that. They won 90-some-odd games this year. They win 90-some-odd games every year practically. The last time I think they won 80-some-odd games, I think, with Joe Girardi. 2016. Yeah, it was a long time ago with Joe Girardi. And three teams made the playoffs in that division. The Red Sox, Blue Jays, and the Orioles. I don't understand why there's so much hate on this man. Why? Because they haven't won? And I'll say it once, and I'll say it again. To win a championship in all professional sports, the easiest sport to win a championship is basketball. Back-to-back. By far. Hockey would be the second easiest, because we've seen three teams in the last 25 years that have won back-to-back championships. Tampa, Pittsburgh, and then the Detroit, the, right? Detroit in the late 90s, yeah. And teams like the Giants that won three in a five-year span, and right. the Red Sox that won three in a seven-year span. So it's not easy winning championships in baseball. Baseball is the hardest sport to win championships. You got to go through the wild card game, the ALDS, and then you got to go into the championship series. Right. And then you got to go to the World Series. You got to get really hot. It's not easy. Look at the Red Sox and the Astros, what they had to do to get all the way to the ALCS. And only one team could win. And then obviously the Braves just went on a streak and nobody would have thought. So that's baseball. So anybody that thinks the Yankees are just going to go out and buy their champion, it doesn't work like that, and it's not going to work for the Mets either. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner Analyst Shane Hallam here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Easy, Errol Marks, on the board, as always, Speedy, the damn man, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Before we get into our guest, I don't really read media stuff, but everywhere you go, you see the Kardashians and every single magazine. If it's not Kendall posing for Vogue or something like that, you have Kylie with her stupid makeup, and then there's Kim and Courtney dating their tattoo manian boyfriend. Pete Davidson is dating Kim Kardashian. Kanye West wants her back. Who cares? It seems like it's such a story to everybody, and I like Pete. New York favorite, a comedian from Staten Island, hangs out here in Long Island a lot. I have a lot of respect for him. His comedy and his life, what happened to his father when he was a kid and the story behind Pete Davidson how many times has he done things to his body that he could have killed himself and he's still moving and he's moving in the right direction with Saturday Night Live and he's just a great kid him getting involved with the Kardashians puts him on another pedestal it builds his product it builds who he is what he's trying to sell but I just think it's ridiculous I, I don't know why you would want to get involved with one of those Kardashians I say Kardashians because I don't know what they call themselves so you have Kim West Courtney whatever her name is Courtney is getting married to Travis Barker <laughs> Chloe's yeah. Tristan Thompson cheating on oh, her again. Yeah. Who cares? I don't understand this crap. All right, we have our guest. We are now talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner Analyst Shane Hallam. What's going on, Shane? Hey, thanks guys for having me. Not not too much. Enjoying the football as always. It's been a grind this season. It's been a lot of fun, so thanks for having me. Are you a Steelers fan? Born, raised, and living in Pittsburgh. I'm an Ohio State alumni. I got the Buckeye stuff. We're, we're ready to go. Why don't you tell the fans how you got your job over there doing the draft countdown? How did you become a draft specialist? Just like anyone. I, it was something I started writing about the draft back in 2004, so I've covered the draft now. This is year 17 for me. Writing around, kind of hopping around, trying to get my name out there. I landed a job 
Live at Draft Countdown back in the mid-2000s with Scott Wright. One of the first NFL Draft websites back in 1997. And so he's moved on to some other things. And myself and my partner, Brian Bassard, have taken over the site. And I have up there my 2021 rankings, seven-round 2021 mock. I have 2022 rankings, 2022, 2023 rankings, and a seven-round 2023 mock draft. And then I have 2024 NFL Draft rankings and a three-round 2024 mock draft. So a lot of people... This past weekend, we're wondering where Bryce Young is going to match up in that 2023 draft and have been coming over and checking that out. So it's been it's been a lot of fun, and we, we just launched it again this August, and it's going well. So why don't we get into the draft? This kid from Michigan, Hutchinson, is just playing unbelievable football right now. A lot of people comparing him to J.J. Watt and his ability. The kid from Oregon, Thibodeau, he's the predominant number one draft pick. Are you surprised that this year's draft is predominantly all these defensive linemen and cornerbacks? Because we've seen the last couple of drafts has been offensive line and offensive players the last two years. So what are your thoughts of Hutchinson's, Thibodeau, and the first five picks of this year's draft? I think they're both really good players. And Hutchinson, I think the thing that's going to kind of tip him, even though he's already getting that number one buzz, really tip him into, okay, this guy can play. He's going to be the combine. 6'6", 275 pounds. He's going to work out like a guy that's 245, 250. He's that athletic. I think that is something that a lot of people just haven't known about him until that Ohio State game, and he kind of broke out. You're like, whoa, you know, this guy can play. He got hurt last season. If you have a team like Detroit, Hutchinson, a Michigan high school kid going to the University of Michigan, it'd be a natural fit. I still have Kayvon Thibodeau as my number one player. I just think as a pass rusher, he is unbelievable, was the number one recruit in that class. That first step is unbelievable explosiveness that's really hard to stop. Against the run, he leaves a lot to be desired, but that's not why you take a guy in the top five. And I do think it's going to be very defensive heavy. It's been since the Courtney Brown, LeVar Arrington year back in the early 2000s, since we've had two defensive players go off the board in the mm-hmm. first two picks. So this is probably going to happen this year. You might see Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama, go in the top five, but I think we see Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, up there. It's cyclical. We have these offensive drafts, and then every once in a while you get this defensive heavy. These guys have stayed in school. Uh, I think the COVID year also has had some offensive players not playing as well as they did. It really favored the defense. And that's kind of swung back to this defensive draft. So one of the trends that's actually very interesting is the wide receivers. Because before this year, there were three straight years where a lot of those receivers were high profile and they didn't get drafted until later. 2018, it was Calvin Ridley. They didn't go to 26. Then 2019 with Metcalf and A.J. Brown and guys like that. And no- nobody went to Hollywood Brown with the Ravens at 25. And then this year, all of a sudden, they go back to it. Jamar Chase, five. Devontae Smith, 10. Jalen Waddle, six. So do you think the receivers are going to become more prominent again this year with a pretty good class of receivers this year i think it's pretty good we don't have that jamar chase kind of player but you have a lot of outside receivers the 2021 class was a lot of slot guys outside of chase smaller do different things devonta smith Jalen waddle Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman. This class has Traylon Burks, who's 6'5", mm-hmm. 230 pounds, who can run a 4'4". You're going to have Jamison Williams from Alabama, a transfer from Ohio State. That, that's kind of Henry Ruggs on steroids. going to be a 4'3 player at 6'2". It's tough because I don't think we're going to have that top 10 pick of a receiver, but I do think from 10 to 32, we could see as many as five or six go off the board. Teams just need more weapons. We look at the Packers. You look at some of these teams that still haven't drafted one when they could have. They're probably going to go after it this year. As you guys know, we are talking to Draft Countdown managing partner and analyst Shane Hallam. Shane, there are two New York teams. If the season were to end, we'd be drafting four and five, the Jets, and the Giants drafting six and seven, which is unheard of in the top ten. For the Jets and the Giants, you can rebuild your team 
in the first top 10 picks. So right now on your draft board, being that the Jets are drafting 4-5 and five and the Giants drafting 6-7, and seven, who do you have the Jets getting and who do you have the Giants getting? A lot's going to depend on what falls to those guys. But I think if you're the Jets, there's a, a big opening as to what you can take there because they really have holes everywhere. You drafted your quarterback last year. So I think a guy like Neal to kind of bookend with Mekhi Becton and have just these two massive offensive tackles mm-hmm. would be, I think, really interesting. And then I think edge rusher is something that they need. George Karloftis from Purdue just declared Purdue doesn't usually have his big defensive players, but he's a player that's been really successful since his freshman year. 270 pounds, can play five tech, stand up three four backer and kick inside really plays all over the line and has had some dominant games with a defense that's pretty bad he's a player to be really interesting for them I think the Giants also kind of have those same needs which makes it tough if this sticks I think the Jets could end up sniping the Giants on some of these players but my next offensive tackle is Charles Cross from Mississippi State the Mike Leach offense is predicated on the quick pass on passing Cross is an excellent pass protection guy. The Giants, that has been one of the worst things for them this season, has been protecting Daniel Jones and trying to get that going. If they don't take him, one guy that really fits, maybe even do go back-to-back offensive line for them, yeah. is Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa. Maybe the most athletic interior lineman, him and Creed Humphrey, who's playing outstanding. Just lighting guys up, taking two guys, getting to the second level. So the center has not gone to the top 10 since 1968, so it would be pretty monumentous if he does. So uh, you mentioned you were an Ohio State fan. Took the loss to Michigan and now Michigan is in the college football playoffs. So what do you think went wrong this year for Ohio State in those particular games, even beginning of the season when they were struggling? What do you think is the upside for them going forward and also for Michigan in the playoff now? Do you think they're a legitimate threat? So I think Michigan is a legitimate threat. I think they're going to play a close game with Georgia, especially with Alabama, right in the book a little bit. So I think Georgia matches up well with Michigan, unfortunately, in terms of owning the line of scrimmage. Both teams are good at that. But Michigan doesn't have those weapons like Alabama had. I think Georgia's exploitable in the secondary. Michigan's got to play good defense. I think Aiden Hutchinson can have a good game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think Michigan maybe has a shot, but it's tough. Ohio State, it is line of scrimmage. It was the big problem against Oregon. They couldn't win on either side of the ball. And then against Michigan. Usually this is a team with a first-round pass rusher. They don't have that. Linebacker you, they don't have that. The offensive line, they have two guys on the left side. Top 100 picks, Nicholas Petit-Frere at the left tackle and Thayer Munford, the left guard, but they really couldn't get it done. It's Hutchinson and company. So I think Ohio State's going to be one of the better teams in college football next year. They're only going to lose three or four starters on their team. So that should be some consistency there. We've been hearing a lot about this Stingley kid. Some people say he's the best player in this year's draft. He's a bona fide Jalen Ramsey, bona fide Darrell Revis. They think he's a complete shutdown corner in the NFL. This guy is going to be a bona fide star once he walks on the field. What are your thoughts to Stingley, and where do you think he falls? I personally think he's a little bit overrated at this point. And it's not that he's a good player, not that he won't go top five. The workouts are going to be great, 6'1", 200, 4'3". It's going to be like, oh, this guy is great. But you watch him as a freshman, true freshman, he was dominant. He was who people are talking about, covering guys that were two, three, four years older than him very fluidly. He looked like he really understood the mirror. He was doing a lot of film study. You watch him this past year before he got hurt. You even watch him last year, and he wasn't playing as well. It seemed like the mental side of the game was kind of passing him a little bit. 
I don't know if it's an effort issue, but he would read wrong routes, kind of play off a little bit and not bump and use his physicality. The makeup speed that you know he has just wasn't there. He wasn't getting back to the receiver on the ball was in the air. So I think there are some issues with his game. I don't think he's the perfect prospect people want to put out there. I think there's a chance he's not the first corner off the board that Andrew Booth from Clemson could go ahead of him. I think Stingley is going to impress this offseason, but I think he might be a little bit overblown. Similar to Patrick Sertain, who's having a great season with the Broncos, but people had as a top five guy and fell. I think that could be what we're talking about here. So from an LSU player to an LSU coach now, they make a big splash of Brian Kelly. We saw that USC get Lincoln Riley. That's not a big splash. A lot of, a, That's an I, expensive splash. I know. I'm not saying I'm advocating for Never it. Never going to win with that guy. It's a flashy <laughs> hire. So of these carousel of coaches that have gone around college football, we just saw Oklahoma bringing Brent Venables from Clemson. Is there one hire that stands out to you as being like the best of the bunch and one of the bigger ones that you think will crash and burn? I hate to write what seems like the biggest one, but I think Lincoln Riley, the Southern Cal, is easily the best he was a top five coach in college football before that move and to get a top five coach in college football to come to your program I think is tremendous I understand it from his point of view he didn't want to go to the SEC and the school said screw you we're going to take the money well he can walk right out too and go to the Pac-12 and maybe have an easier time I just think when you have a guy that's produced number one overall quarterbacks in the NFL draft as consistently as he has. You can't deny that. And their true freshman quarterback there, Jackson Dart, has been exceptional and fits this offense. I think that's going to be one of the best. I'm a little bit scared, even though I like him as a coach, uh, Billy Napier going to Florida. He's saying what should be right. He wants to kind of take his time with recruits and hiring coaches and get it right. And that sounds great. But Florida has lost half their recruiting class in the past week. They're down to 66th overall with the likes of some of Toledo, I think, in recruiting rankings. It's getting bad. Like, it's burning already, and you have to do something to kind of repair that. And so I definitely have a fear he could just get himself behind the eight ball roster-wise and just be stuck. We are talking to Draft Countdown managing partner and analyst Shane Hallam. We look at the draft. There's no bona fide superstar. Has there been a player in the last two drafts that really stuck out to you that was drafted later in the first round or later in the second and third round that really poked at you and said, wow, I didn't think he was going to be this good. There's always players that I think emerge. I didn't think should go there. And then they turn out to be much better than you expected from that 2020 class. I really liked Justin Jefferson. I thought he was a good player. I had him pretty high on my board, but I wasn't sure if he was just a slot guy, if it was going to be this kind of dominant performance, maybe the best receiver in football. I think you can make an argument, even if he doesn't have the size of DK Metcalf or the years under him, he's just breaking records left and right. I really did not think he would be better than the top of that class. I had Jerry Judy above Matt C. Lamb above him. I just think Justin Jefferson has done unbelievable. And I was surprised to see him, especially come out of the gate and do that as a rookie, what he did last year. Elijah Moore, what did you, what did you think about the Jets getting him in the second round? And how do you think he's performed really in the second half of the season? I was a fan. I had him rated as a late first, early second round pick. So I thought it was appropriate for them. One thing I was kind of wrong on, I really thought he was going to be this electric slot receiver, going to be excellent. They've actually been playing him more these past three weeks outside and he's been better. That says volumes about his ability to get off the line of scrimmage, to be able to beat a jam, something he did not have to face at Mississippi. He's doing that for the Jets now. I mean, that's a huge step because if you have a guy at that size that can beat 
a physical corner off the line of scrimmage. He's got to be really tough to stop. I, I think his best years are ahead of him. If Zach Wilson can live up the expectations, it could end up being a really good passing game. From both the fantasy perspective and also the draft perspective, the running back position now, the feature back kind of died out, especially with injuries now to a lot of the top running backs. Dalvin Cook's now hurt. Derrick Henry, his first big injury now, he's probably out for the season. Christian McCaffrey, two years in a row. What is the strategy in your mind from a fantasy perspective when it comes to that? And also judging the draft down the road, are you going to see these guys be first round picks or even second round picks anymore? I think you see why a lot of these running backs are falling down the NFL draft board because one injury can put them out. And we don't even know if Cam Akers is going to be able to come back from an Achilles. I think it's an issue. The 2023 draft will be the big test. We have Bijan Robinson out of Texas. He's going to be on that Saquon Barkley kind of level. How high is the team going to take him? That's going to be really the interesting piece. I think from a fantasy perspective, you kind of have to take your shot. One guy early. Hey, if it was Derrick Henry, it didn't work out. Or Dalvin Cook or Christian McCaffrey. I think you have to take a shot early. And then I just really like to gather a lot of these backup running backs. Because at this point, I think in the future, a couple of them are going to hit. Even if you took some guy that that's backing up Joe Mixon or whatever that hasn't gotten in. If you drafted some of these backups, you drafted Alexander Madison, he's winning you games. You drafted Javante Williams, that is working out for you. I think it's almost throw a bunch of things at the wall, draft these backups. When a guy gets hurt, then fantasy-wise, you can plug in your RB2 and you're good to go. So I like to get one solid RB1 and then really just throw the rest of the wall. And my receivers are great. Every other position's great. And you can win that way. We are talking to Draft Countdown Managing Partner and Analyst Shane Hallam. With the NFL, the AFC is fallen. There's no predominant real superstar team. The Patriots have played well this year, especially in the second half, with a rookie quarterback. The pressure is going to be on the rookie quarterback in the big game. That's going to be a huge problem going into a playoff game against some of these top-end defenses. Who do you think stands out as the beast from the AFC? And in the NFC, the predominantly very top-heavy NFC, Who do you think is the beast in the NFC? I think for the AFC, I think this extra week, I think a team can still get hot and really take it. But I think the Chiefs are back to that status in the AFC. Getting crushed by the Titans and Mm -hmm. getting crushed by the Bills. Like, okay, this team's done. But that defense, they've made adjustments. They've stepped up, beat the Packers in a low-scoring game, dropped 41 on the Raiders. The offense isn't quite there, but I feel like it's going to get there. We still have some confidence in the defense is actually coming together, which is my biggest worry. The Patriots are going to be good. I, I don't think Mac Jones can carry them if they get behind. Either do I. So I think the Chiefs and the AFC and the Packers. I think the Packers have that balanced defense. If they can get some of the injured guys back, which should happen later in the season, I think the Packers are probably the best team in the NFC. Best defense Aaron Rodgers has ever had. This gives Aaron Rodgers a really good opportunity. If he can get into the Super Bowl, I think there's a very good chance the Packers win the Super Bowl this year. And my favorites of winning the whole thing before the season started. I had Tennessee, Green Bay, Green Bay winning the Super Bowl. But Tennessee losing Derrick Henry, they're not going anywhere. And A.J. Brown, his injury, uh, he hasn't been the same player this year because of injury. They are going to get into the playoffs. They could be the predominant number one seed. That's not saying much because they don't have any running game. And I don't trust their running game to take them where they need to be. So it's going to be crazy. I want to ask about your Steelers because Big Ben making an announcement, this is probably going to be my last year with with the Steelers. Whether that means to retire or not, that's another question. What do you think is the best approach for them? Because this quarterback draft, like you were saying earlier, isn't really the flashiest one. 
there are a couple of good names that maybe could be developmental guys. Obviously, Kenny Pickett would be the local product for the Steelers if you want to take a pick guy right away. Is that the move that the Steelers make? Do they maybe trade for next year's equivalent of a Carson Wentz and wait till the following year? What do you think is the best approach for them? I'll say what I think is the best approach is probably not what they will do. I do think that they need to blow it up. I do think that they overachieved last year. I think the worst thing that probably happened to them long term was to win those 11 games in a row because it made them look a lot better to management than they were. Kevin Colbert, the GM, is probably going to retire with Ben. I think that's been the goal, kind of push for the Super Bowl. And next year, they have a lot of cap space when they've been pressing up against it. I would blow it up, let a lot of these older guys go. I would retold the, the back end of the defense, try to keep this offensive line, keep building that. You have weapons. I don't think depth-wise they're close enough, and that's been the problem. Guys getting hurt, a practice squad Nose tackle from the Saints started for them last week. That's not going to cut it. They just don't have depth because they spent all the money on starters. What I think will happen is the second thing that you said. I think they're going to go after a veteran quarterback. I think they're going to go after a Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers. What can they give up? They're not shy about giving up draft picks to try to kind of piece this together while they still have TJ Watt and they still have the weapons. I don't know if that's going to work. Probably not. But I think that is probably going to be their first look. They have probably been the second most interested team in the incoming rookie quarterbacks. Kevin Colbert has seen four of them in person, second only to George Patton of the Broncos. So I I do think that they are looking, could be a possibility, but I think they're going to get a little greedy and go for a veteran. I think when you look at this offseason, everybody talks about these great quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins, you were saying, that could be available. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers and then Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. There's a ton of these guys that could be available. I believe coldheartedly, because they're under contract, to give these star quarterbacks away, you're going to have to give up a lot. And I don't see any of these teams giving up their future, extended future, like the Giants. The Giants are not an organization that's willing to give up a significant amount of first-round draft picks. When Gettleman is the one who gave them the opportunity to get two top ten first-round draft picks, they're not going to just give it away for a guy that's not just the missing piece that's going to help you win a championship. The Giants have holes to fill, and it's not just Russell Wilson, and then they're going to win a Super Bowl. They could win the division. The division's so weak. So you're looking at the draft. We talked about Hutchinson's. We talked about all these different superstar players that are going to be coming out of the draft. Is there a particular player that really sticks out to you in this year's draft that can change an organization, could change a franchise for the better? I think that's always what teams are looking for. I think we look at the quarterback position. I'm just not sure that player is there. Probably the most exciting guy that's going to be a late first, early second round pick is Malik Willis out of Liberty. who's gotten a lot of hype, but also had some pretty bad games against bad competition this season. And so when you have a guy that's, you know, 6'1", 215, that has that Cam Newton mold of being able to run and run guys over on the defense, if he hits, that could change a franchise. We see a Lamar Jackson hit. It completely changes around that. And so I think Malik Willis is probably the the quarterback that I'm going to be looking for the most. Like, where is he going to go? Is it going to be a a Sean Payton who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and can turn this lump of clay like he did Taysom Hill, like he can turn Malik Willis into that plus, turn him into a superstar? Or team's going to kind of stay away and say, this is way too risky. I'll take my Kenny Pickett and my Sam Howell and get my old school quarterback that I know what to do with. I think Willis could be that franchise changer if he hits. 
And if he gets drafted too high, then franchise changer in the other way when you draft him too high and he just busts. Lots of quarterbacks in the transfer portal right now. So any predictions on Max Johnson, Quinn Ewers, Adrian Martinez, and Errol's boy, Spencer Rattler? <laughs> I think Spencer Rattler is going to end up at Nebraska. He's taking a visit there. Mark Whipple, the pit offensive coordinator, going to Nebraska which I think is a huge get. And I think you could even see him transfer with some of his receivers, Theo Weiss. I think Theo Weiss is one that had a good connection with him. So that's my prediction for Rattler. Maybe that can turn him around. Could be an interesting system. Quinn Ewers, I think he'll go to Texas. I really want him to go to Texas Tech. I think it would be a lot of fun with Zach Whitley, the uh, offensive coordinator coming from Western Kentucky. I think would be fun, but I do think he ends up in Texas where he was looking at to go originally anyway, ends up starting there over what little they have. Max Johnson, we don't have much to go off of now. I'm going to guess South Carolina. They're a team that likes to bring in transfers. He has a little bit of connection to that staff. And probably wherever he goes to, his four-star brother is a tight end who decommitted from LSU. So it could be a team kind of getting a two-for-one there to end up with him ultimately. And Adrian Martinez, I don't think it matters. I feel like he's been in college football for 50 years and he's never been good. <laughs> so let's put him on Colorado State or something somewhere really crappy. It'd be nice. Last quick question. Devin Kirkwood, friend of the show, good friend of ours. Where do you think he gets drafted in a couple of years? What kind of player do you think he is? At UCLA, I think that defense has kind of sprung up in, in a decent way. I like his length. I think he has long arms. I think he's pretty good there. I have him as a third-day pick at this point. Wow. It's super early, but I think he's a draftable prospect with some upside. So definitely interested to see where his career goes. Devin, you heard that, bud? Shane Hallam has your third-round prospect. You need to get back on the field and keep pushing, buddy. We need to get you in the first round, bud. Shane, tell the fans how they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam. You can also find at Draft Countdown. Go to draftcountdown.com for all of my work and uh, can definitely point you in the right direction. Check out my podcast, Draft Countdown Podcast, wherever you get your podcast is NFL Draft Based and the Debbie Marketplace Podcast for Debbie Fantasy Football. So I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a really fun time. Absolutely. We'd love to get you back on in the very near future. Maybe. Right after the playoffs, we'll talk about the draft. We have a draft show during the draft. Maybe we'll get you on the draft, unless you're going to be at the draft. Are you going to be at the draft? I won't. We'll be live streaming on my end. But we All can, right, so uh, maybe, I can maybe we can definitely pop on. So yeah, maybe we can pop on for both and talk a little bit about what's going on in the draft. We really appreciate you joining us. We really do. No, thanks, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, Shane Hallam. He was awesome. His draft expertise is better than no other. I'll tell you that right now. I, I don't think there's anybody that knows the draft and knows the background of the draft as much as this man does. If you haven't followed him, go check him out. Go listen to the replay. If you missed the show live right now in the studios, go check out our website or you go to our apps, or iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Hallam is awesome. Definitely going to get him on the show again. When we come back, we will get into some football. We will have our free-for-all picks, and we'll get into the Jets, Giants, Week 13, and Week 14 in the NFL, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, the delivery man, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports 
Radio Network. Download our app. Go on iOS, which is Apple. WWSRN is in Nancy. Or you can go to Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our stories are great. Our shows throughout the week are awesome. We go to so many events. We're going to be going to, the, hopefully, the Super Bowl during the show at Radio Row. Even this show on Radio Row, The Weekend Crunch, live and in color at the Super Bowl. So definitely stay tuned for that. We're trying to do bigger and better things, and we really appreciate the Long Island fans and the New York fans and, and the fans around the country that listens to us and puts the time into listening to our craziness on our shows, especially with the sports loud mouths with Tyler's big mouth. I mean, it scares the hell out of me sometimes. But with everything going on in the world, I, I think sports and music really take you away from that. And by the way, I got my vaccine yesterday. I'm aching. My body is aching. I've had headaches. I'm pro for the vaccination now more than ever because I had COVID. But last night I was very cold. I had the goosebumps all night long. So wasn't feeling very good tonight. I felt a little bit better, but it's horrible getting this vaccine and, and you don't know what it's doing to your body. But hopefully I feel a little bit better with the aching. Why don't we get into week 13? A lot of these teams, you just don't know who they are week to week. They have a good week. Obviously, Antonio Brown, he can't stay away from the law or getting himself into trouble from the NFL. I've been hearing that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers might actually drop him and let him go. That's a whole nother story and a whole nother character. But last week, this was probably one of the worst game schedules we've seen in a very long time. When you look at the Giants and what the Giants did against the Dolphins, it was very humiliating. And I understand Daniel Jones is not 100% healthy. Their defense has not been the defense it was last year. But what they did against this Dolphins team, and this Dolphins team is not good. Jalen Watt looks like a player. I mean, they have some pieces that you can be very excited if you're a Dolphin fan. All you New York fans that are Dolphin fans out there, which is quite a few. A couple of my friends are actually Dolphin my fans. My uncle is too. Probably because of Dan Marino, right? Mm-hmm. Dan Marino was the more popular quarterback in those times, especially in the 80s and the 90s. But who would have thought that Brian Flores would be on the hot seat this year. One of the best young coaches in the NFL. This year, it just hasn't worked out for them. They're 6-7. and seven. A lot of people thought they were a borderline playoff team. They are kind of in the playoff race right now. Yeah, they've won five in a row, so they're technically back in it, but they still have to leapfrog three other teams. So, it's crazy they've won five in a row. If you want to say that's good, but a team that should have had ten wins, a lot of people thought that this team was as talented as any of the teams in the AFC East, especially better than the Jets. I mean, that's not saying much. But the Giants, I thought going into Miami was going to put a little bit better of a game, a little better plan. And Joe Judge looks like he's like a deer in a headlight. And he doesn't say much to the press. I think the press puts a lot of pressure on him. We've seen it with Tom Thibodeau. And, and you know that if you're going to take a job here in New York, you're going to have to deal with the press. You're going to have to deal with the emotional fans that they have over here. And and listen, the New York fans are not happy with a 4-8 and eight record. They had a 6-10 and 10 record at the end of the season last year. They're probably going to be 6-11 and 11 this year. I mean, if they win two games, I'll be very surprised. How could you sit here and say today that the Giants are put in a very good position for next year with Joe Judge, even if Gettleman's gone? Yeah, Joe Judge, I think, this year doesn't have that same pulse on the game. Now, with the media, that's always been the Bill Belichick mantra, so I, I guess he gets it from him. The, none of his coaches are like that. You can't he, copy Bill he, Belichick. No, 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 but I, I would say outside of Rabel, all the Belichick coaching tree, like we mentioned, Flores, hey, listen, we, we they're just, pretty quiet. I just whole, told so. you a story before the show started, what Vrabel did. Yeah, just, uh, I said that's what I said. Vrabel's the exception, but beyond that, like, seems like everyone else from his coaching tree really has been like that, but even so, I don't think judges have the same pulse on the game in terms of game planning perspective. The discipline of the Giants really haven't been there as much either. And this is a Miami team that, yes, they're hot right now, but 
they're still not a great overall team. I would say their roster. Horrible. Man. I would say their roster is pretty average. I think who's their quarterback? Tua. <laughs> yeah. Give me a break. Well, Tua's played fine. Well, he's going to keep his job because yeah. of the five game. He, he, I think though the Giants still had a chance though with their defense against a bad offensive line in Miami, a team that's actually worse offensive line wise than the Giants are. As weird as that sounds, I'm surprised they couldn't take advantage with Patrick Graham. Also, knowing the Dolphins coming from that coaching staff, you wouldn't think they would play a little better than they did. Obviously, their offense, they knew it was going to be limited because of the backup quarterback, because of the Dolphins' defense now playing like they should. So I was expecting the Giants to at least put up more of a fight defensively, but just even so, the discipline isn't there. The game planning really isn't there. It doesn't seem like they have a modern NFL product right now, and that has a lot to do with Judge and also has a lot to do with Gettleman. So he's been good at times in the draft, but it still hasn't Great at drafting. I thought he's been great in the last two years in the draft. I just think his free agency market has been horrible. Sure. Galladay, but I, I mean, still think, on. again, the way the Giants are built right now, they're overloaded in certain positions. They nice Isn't Saquon Barkley's contract up this year? Next year. They're going to have to decide what they're going to do mm-hmm. with Saquon. If I were the Giants... It'll depend on who their next coach is if Judge isn't there. Which I, I, I say you trade be. him in the offseason. He can't stay healthy, and they're not one player away. They're not a running No, player. they're far from one player away. The Giants have a lot of holes right now. You could get a second-round draft pick for Saquon. Maybe. And, still, I would see who this next coach is if they do end up getting rid of Judge, because I think if Gettleman's gone, Judge will end up being gone, too. And if there's a coach out there that's like an offensive, creative guy that maybe thinks they can get better out of Saquon. Brady, who just got fired by the Carolina Panthers, which made no sense. How, how do you fire a guy before the bye week? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it, weird. It doesn't make any sense. It's... Yeah. Even so, I don't think the Giants as a whole are showing that same kind of peskiness as last year, too. Last year, they hung tough with good teams. They beat Seattle, who was a playoff team last year. They hung tough with teams like the Rams, the Browns they played close with, who ended up being a playoff team. Well, look on the bright side. Matt Rule might be available, so he could be going to the Giants next year. Annoying. That's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, that's the other thing, because he also has ties with the Giants organization. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that worries me, too, because they it seems like the Giants are still kind of stuck in trying to keep their own guys and trying mm-hmm. to bring back their own guys. Ever since Coughlin... Biggest mistake whole, they ever did. That this- whole Controversy. Let go of yeah. Tom Coughlin. But that whole controversy, that whole thing, they've they've looked like they're just trying to hang on to their values, and they've looked dysfunctional in doing it. And just recreate a new image. Certain ownership groups seem to be like that. And now you're seeing, even though they're still winning a team like the Steelers fall apart for similar reasons, I think a lot of these old-school ownerships, even the Raiders too, in, in ways, even though they're playing better this year, they still are stuck in their own ways where they have to get their guys, and it just doesn't work. Daniel Jones, he was stamping his name to Daniel Jones. If Daniel Jones wasn't going to work out, he was going to be gone. I still think Daniel Jones could be a good quarterback in this league. I just don't think they've put enough pieces. He hasn't put enough pieces around Daniel Jones to be successful. And unfortunately, because of that, Daniel Jones was probably going to be looking for a new job. He'll be back up in this league. And maybe one day he'll he'll get another opportunity to be a starting quarterback. Maybe he becomes another Tannehill or somebody like yeah. that. And he goes somewhere else where a team actually gives him an opportunity to be successful. And he could turn out to be a good quarterback. But I just think the Giants did not develop him the way he should have been developed. And I think Gettle right now is on the hot seat. He's been on the hot seat since last year. They needed to win seven or eight games this year. They're just not. And now you look at the Giants. I mean, Saquon Barkley, his first draft pick he's ever had, he can't stay healthy. He can't stay on the field. And, and that's a big problem when you go after a running back in the top three in the draft when you could have gotten, hey, Sam Darnold, who hasn't really looked good, or maybe even Baker Mayfield, who hasn't really looked good. So if you look at the top three picks in that draft, all three of them, have not stayed healthy and have not been good. Maybe Daniel Jones will go to the Steelers with Dwayne Haskins as his backup. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> Daniel Jones has been just as good as Sam Darnold. And yeah, that's he's fair. been just as good as Saquon Barkley. I mean, Saquon Barkley had one really good year. 
Right. I don't think Daniel Jones ever had the peak success of Saquon no, in the first two years. No, but they haven't put enough players around him. No, no, to no, have that I, no. Yeah, I'll defend him this year in the case of because of the receivers being and the offensive really line, bad. the offensive line outside of Andrew Horrible. Thomas being bad. I think he's shown some growth in some areas. Yes, he's still inconsistent, which is gonna. How could you be consistent when you don't have weapons? Yeah, Tony, they drafted him. He looked good for a couple of games. He's hurt. Yeah. Can't stay healthy. So if they have a new regime that says, "All right, we're going to take our own guy," and maybe it's somebody available, maybe they right decide now. to maybe keep it's a draft. Him. Yeah, I think they should try to keep him too. This quarterback draft isn't great right now. If he was in this draft class, he's the best quarterback in this class. Maybe it's just not a gamble that the Giants. I think should be worth taking. Maybe again, it depends on what other veterans become available. To I'm not saying a big one, a bridge guy for a 2023 quarterback too. So I would hang on to Jones. It just depends on whatever coaching staff. Demarius Thomas, sad story that came yeah. out during the sports lab mounts on Thursday that he passed away. 33 year old, great wide receiver. We'll get into that in just a few moments because I have a lot to say about Demarius Thomas. He played for the Jets. I'm a Jet fan. Didn't do much with the Jets, but special player. And a lot of people, Peyton Manning has spoken up. Tim Tebow has said a lot of things about him. A lot of ex. Uh, players that played with him have said so many unbelievable things about him and, and how he was just a great team leader. But the Jets, Zach Wilson came back. Did he look better than he's looked the whole season? Yes. Is that saying much? No. Now, Tyler on our Sports Lama shows, he said that this is the first game that he didn't look like he was a deer in the headlights. He looked like he knew what he was doing. The numbers would not show that he did. He did run a touchdown, and he did have two throwing touchdowns. He threw an interception. You see growing pains with this kid. I do believe this kid's going to be a great quarterback in this league. If the Jets put the right pieces around him, something that Daniel Jones didn't get, I think that the Jets will get this kid working on all cylinders. I think he is going to be a quality quarterback in this league. The problem with Zach Wilson in the last couple of weeks is these short passes have been a huge problem. Doesn't make an accurate short pass throw, which is very weird because in BYU, he made a lot of them. Over the shoulder, he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in all of college football. And the fact that he's not accurate with these short passes makes absolutely no sense. Maybe it's in his head right now. The Jets' running game has not been as good. Carter has been hurt. Hopefully Carter will be back this week or next week. The thing is, looking at the Jets against the Eagles last week, the Eagles are a borderline playoff team. They're fighting for a playoff spot. The Jets are not a borderline playoff team. They're not any good. Their defense, really skeptical in certain aspects of their game. They can't stop the run. This was one of the best run defenses in all of football before Robert Sala. This year, Robert Sala comes in, and they're not. And they have the same players, practically. Maybe even better with Rankins and, obviously, Quentin Williams. So it doesn't make any sense right now where the Jets are when it comes to the run defense. But... All in all, I think this is a team that is going to have growing pains this year. I expect next year to be a much better season. I think with the uh, draft stock that they have and $45 million to spend next year, not as much as I thought they were going to have, but that's because they gave Franklin Myers a 50 million dollar contract this season. Carl Lawson has missed the season. The return of Carl Lawson, maybe you draft a Hutchinson if he falls to them in a draft. Yeah. You add uh, depth to that defensive line that they haven't had over the years. They haven't had a John Abraham type. Maybe it's Hutchinson. Heisman candidate. Yeah, so, and we don't know. Some people say they're, it's going to go one and two for defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Very so. much could. I don't think it is, because I don't think the Texans are going to draft a, a defensive lineman. Well, it's Jacksonville right now. Well, Jacksonville plays the Jets, so more than likely, Jacksonville will win. And if the Texans win another game, they could. They I could. Mean, they've been in a lot of games. I've been very surprised. Last week, they got crushed by the Colts, by the way, but Taylor has been unbelievable. Elijah Moore looks like he's going to be a star in this league. It looks like Elijah Vera Tucker looks like he's going to be a star in this league. So, if you look at what Joe Douglas has done so far in the draft, sensational. 
as far as this free agency market and the fact that Denzel Mims isn't playing, it doesn't make any sense. He has to make a decision in the offseason what they're doing with Denzel Mims. If they're not going to play him, trade him for a second-round draft pick because I'm sure there'll be teams lining up for a second-round draft pick. I think he's going to be a star in this league. I think he reminds me of a Julio Jones type of player. I don't know if he's Julio Jones, but he's got the length. He's got the speed. He's got the leaping ability. He's everything you want from a, a wide receiver. The fact that he doesn't fit in the offense makes no sense. All right, so we're going to do our three-for-all picks of our week. So score update right now, it is still Errol up by three. Yes. At the moment, he got the Chargers Check. last week on the over. I got the Patriots on the under. Let's start this week with a interconference matchup. The 49ers at the Bengals, the over under 48.5. Go ahead, Speedy. I'm going to take the 49ers here. I think this will be a close game. I think this will be a higher scoring game. I'm going to take them on the over. Both these receiving depths would be good against bad secondaries that these teams have. I think the 49ers' offensive creativity, though, has still gotten better. And I think the Bengals are going to have a a tougher time with those matchups with linebackers and corners. Just the 49ers, the motion, the way they like to do it. I think Burrow and Chase both have big games for the Bengals. The 49ers' run defense, though, even though it was bad at the start of the season, has gotten better in recent weeks. So I don't think Joe Mixon has the same week this week. So I'll take San Fran on the over. They got to fly all the way to Cincinnati. I got the Bengals in this game. Love Joe Burrows, love Jamar Chase, love Boyd. I I think Boyd's going to have a breakout game uh, against his San Francisco secondary. Give me the Bengals on the over. All right, Buffalo Bills at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the over-under 53.5 for this one. I got the Buccaneers in this game. I think it's going to be a tough matchup for Buffalo's defense with the receiving depth, even without Antonio Brown for the Buccaneers, because no Tredavious White right now. They really don't have that lockdown number one corner. The other corners are fine, but now you're dealing with Evans and Godwin and Brady, who's torched the Bills in his career. So I think that's going to be a tough matchup for them. I think it'll be close for a while, but then I think Tampa's going to pull away in the fourth quarter. Buffalo, one-dimensional offense right now doesn't look good. So I'll take the Buccaneers on the under. I got the Bills in this game. I think the Bills, after what happened last week against the Patriots and not playing the game that they thought, really because of the wind, and they don't have a running game, and they're going to have to run against the Buccaneers. They're, they're going to have to That'll be hard to do against yes. the number one run defense in the last three years. That's fine. But I, I think the Bills are going to have a good game. I like the Bills in this game. I like Josh Allen. I don't see them losing two games in a row. Give me the Bills on right. the under. All right, Monday Night Football. The L.A. Rams at the Arizona Cardinals. 51.5 is the mark we're looking at for that. I'll take the Rams in this one. I think they're going to get out of this funk at some point. They're too good of a team so they'll be losing the way they have been losing. I know they blew out the Jaguars last week. Big whoop. But Arizona, they've been a pattern ever since they started undefeated. So I think they have a little bit of a letdown after the blowout last week. The NFC West has a lot of road rivalry games that result in road teams winning. I think the Rams bounce back. A little more primetime experience. I'll take them. I'll take them on the under. I think it'll be lower scoring than people think. I got the Rams, too. I I think the Rams need this game more than the Cardinals do. I think they're going to come out very strong in Arizona. The Cardinals, Kyler Murray, I think he'll have a good game. I still think Hopkins is still waiting for that breakout game we haven't really seen this year. So I expect them to be healthy and and go out there and, and play well as well. And the Cardinals running game has been awesome, too, this year. So both their running backs. I'm going to go with the L.A. Rams. Give me the Rams, Matthew Stafford, and Odell Beckham having two touchdowns in the game on the under. Two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. All right. I think Odell will have a breakout game this Mm -hmm. week. So he better. I I need him on my fantasy team because I need to get into this playoff and, and shut up the beef. I want yeah. the beef to get knocked Please out. shut out the beef. He doesn't shut up, man. Ever since Derrick Henry, he's telling me he's lost, and then he wins every week. And he says, well, it's not because of that. Shut up, okay? Beef, uh, complaining about everything. Keep complaining that Ezekiel Elliott should be on the same line as Barry Sanders. It's ridiculous. And Ezekiel Elliott's probably not going to have a job next year if they <laughs> drop him. But that's just my opinion. When we come back, 
Ladies and gentlemen, we will finish up in week 14. Uh, Obviously, we'll talk about some of the games and we'll get into some basketball with the New York Knicks not looking as bright as we thought they were going to be this year, especially with Ball Hog himself, Julius Randle, forcing up bricks. And uh, Kemba Walker looks like he's going to be looking for a new job, and that might be working for a law company or something, because it's not going to be basketball anymore. And that's coming from a Kemba Walker fan. The Brooklyn Nets, hot as can be. KD was on a show with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. I'm going to tell you why Kevin Durant was the reason why the Golden State Warriors were champions back-to-back years. When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, for another show of the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, Flyman Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. And we played the Broncos track because there was a death on Thursday night. It came out all over social media on the Sports Lab Mounts. Josh Silverberg was a part of the Weekend Crunch and the Sports Lab Mounts over the last year. Shout out to Josh. His son's doing very, very well. He announced that Demarius Thomas was found dead at his house in a shower. Okay, and we didn't even know it was his shower until the next day. Stories coming out from his family saying that he started to get seizures the last two or three years of his football career, maybe because of the head trauma and all those years playing football. And there were so many young players. We know one that did a lot of crazy, crazy things, and they did a documentary on him and, and Aaron Hernandez. A lot of young players that have had head trauma and had seizure problems over the years and haven't lived or didn't live long-lasting lives. And Demarius Thomas, he wasn't Aaron Hernandez. He was a good guy. And Tim Tebow and Peyton Manning, Decker, all these different guys spoke so highly of this guy. Every time he stepped in the locker room, every time he stepped on the field, uh, he was a born winner, a born leader. And it's just so sad when you know the story about guys like Demarius Thomas. His mother was in jail for like nine or ten years. She was a drug dealer. She tried to keep food on the table for him and his family. And then she finally gets out of jail and she gets to see her son play football for like the last three or four years of his career. It's just a sad, sad situation. And his mother really missed a lot of parts of his life, huge amount of his life. It's just a sad, sad story. And unfortunately, when you talk about Demarius Thomas, you think of his death right now. You don't think of all the good things he did. If you look at his numbers from 2012 all the way to 2016, Demarius Thomas was close to a top three wide receiver in the league. 2012, 2013, and 2014, he was a top three wide receiver in the league. He was an elite wide receiver. And when you try to compare and contrast him to Calvin Johnson, well, you can't. Calvin Johnson's a Hall of Famer. Demarius Thomas didn't have enough years in the NFL to be a Hall of Famer. But to lose a player of this magnitude, to lose a good person, a good Samaritan, a good football player, a good teammate, it's sad to hear. I don't know what more to say about him, except may he rest in peace. Shout out to his family, his mother, his brothers and sisters, his aunts and uncles, and his wife. Terrible Mm -hmm. for a 33-year-old 
top-end wide receiver to not be on this earth. By the way, I'm six years older than Demarius Thomas. Could you think that? I'm 39 years old. The guy retires last year at 32 years old. He's 33, and he passes away. It's just horrible story speed. Yeah, definitely is. For a guy that was a great teammate with the Broncos, Georgia Tech, a lot of the Georgia football community, too. It was actually his high school coach that was one of the first people to report on this. And, again, that whole community, southeastern Georgia, really was hit hard. Obviously, his Broncos teammates, a lot of them have posted about the best memories of Demarius Thomas, some great photos, because he really, he really was a great leader for that Broncos team, even before Peyton Manning got there, first two years of his career. So a guy that really moved a lot of people on the Broncos, really within the NFL community, the wide receivers, and throughout the state of Georgia, throughout the state of Colorado, and all across the football. Special so, player. And to see him go out at 33 years old, you know, seizures, it was in his shower, too, allegedly, that he just went through. That's so sad. It really is. And, and I feel bad for his wife and just his family. I mean, it, it's just horrible. It's a horrible story for the NFL family and just really for the Broncos family. And they're doing something on Sunday for Demarius Thomas. It's just really sad. I want to finish up, but I want to get into week 14 and some of the games that really stand out. We made our picks. There are two games that really stand out to me out of all the games. The Packers and the Bears. Aaron Rodgers is still speaking. I love Aaron, and I I have a lot of respect for him. I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. He's been the best quarterback in the NFL for the last 10 years. When he's healthy, there's nobody better than him. I don't want to hear the Tom Brady stuff. Tom Brady has won Super Bowls. That's great. The best quarterback in the NFL is Aaron Rodgers. But the way he speaks and, and, and way he talks about the Bears organization and now he owns the Bears organization and they should call him Aaron Rodgers Stadium. The Bears going to Green Bay. This is a perfect game for the Bears to shock the world and knock off the heavily favored Packers in this game. Now, Aaron Rodgers, to me, is the MVP of the league. Tom Brady has 800 more yards than him and so does Matthew Stafford. But if you look at touchdowns to interceptions, 23 touchdowns to four interceptions, nobody in the league yeah, has. Yeah, Brady's 34 to 10. Yeah, so. nobody has the numbers like that. Passing rating to his quarterback rating to everything. To me, he's by far the best quarterback in the NFL. With the players, look, look at who Tom Brady's throwing to. Now, everyone's going to say, well, he never threw that. Yes, he did. He threw to Gronkowski. He threw to Aaron Hernandez. He's thrown to Randy Boss. He's thrown to Branch when he was the MVP of the Super Bowl. I don't want to hear that he had nobody to throw to. He's had great players to throw to. Aaron Rodgers. And you're going to say Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson, when he left the Green Bay Packers, did he do anything? No. Randall Cobb, he leaves the Green Bay Packers a couple years ago. Did he do anything with the Cowboys? No. (laughs) He comes back to Green Bay. And he actually was playing probably one of his best seasons since he left the Green Bay Packers before he got hurt. Aaron Rodgers makes everybody around him better. Besides Devontae Adams, who's a top three wide receiver in the league, their second and third tier wide receivers are like ranked 110, 120. They're not good. But he's still winning. He still has a 9-3 and three record. And this defense, this Packers defense is for real this year. I think this Packers defense is the best we've ever seen it with Aaron Rodgers. And I think working on all three cylinders, and I say three cylinders, special teams, offense and defense, this is the best Green Bay Packer team we've seen in a very long time. And that has a lot to do with Aaron Rodgers, yes. But it also has to do with their defense and what their secondary is doing this year. They've been fantastic. This is a perfect game for a young quarterback like Fields to go over there to Green Bay and shock the world and knock off the Green Bay Packers. Mm. It really would be. And the other game that really sticks out to me, the Bills and the Buccaneers. Because after the Patriot game, the Bills are lost. And this was the best team. In the AFC, practically half the season. Everybody was saying, the Bills, the Bills, the Bills. They're going to the Super Bowl. It was a four-long conclusion they were going to the Super Bowl. Now, they're lucky if they make the playoffs. If they lose this game against the Buccaneers, they're 7-6. and six. 
Slowly but surely, the Patriots have taken away, taken over the the division, and and the way the AFC is so close, the Bills might not even make the playoffs. The Bills need this win. They need to go into Tampa and beat the Buccaneers. This is more important to the Bills than it ever was for the Buccaneers, Speedy. Yeah, the Bills have to find an identity now that they can create depth because they have stars. Stephon Diggs is a great receiver. Josh Allen's a great quarterback. Where is the depth going to come from there? The running backs, obviously, being very inconsistent much of the year, as indicated in the, in the Monday night game against the Patriots. Now the defense, they've lost Tremaine Edmonds for much of the season. They have just lost Tredavious White for the season. Where will they get that depth? Now, the pass rush has been better than they were last year, sure, but they need to find other things within that. I still think they'll be fine in making the playoffs just because there's really not a lot of trustworthy wildcard teams in the AFC, but... It's still not the same identity now that they're having to trust more stars rather than more balanced than they have in years past. And that's going to be a tough test for this coaching staff in order to do it. And a tough test, especially for Josh Allen, to try to spread the ball around and get these other receivers going. I think that this is a big game for the Bills, and that's why I picked the Bills. Because if the Bills lose this game, they don't make the playoffs. Because they got to play the Patriots again. And I think the Patriots are going to beat them again. The Patriots have their number. they got to go to New England and beat the Patriots. And if they lose that game... You're 7-7. Seven and seven. They could lose three games in a row. Patriots, then lose against the Buccaneers, Tom Brady, and then lose against the Patriots again. That's three losses in a row. Right now, the Bengals have that same record as the Bills. If the Bengals win this week against the 49ers, they have sole custody of that second-tier spot. And the Bills have been dominating really all year. Everybody was saying the Bills, the Bills, the Bills. I'm sorry. The Bills are not the team to beat in the AFC East. It's the Patriots. So the Bills are going to have to figure that out. Now, I, I want to get into basketball. I am not a huge Kevin Durant fan. I think the Knicks didn't offer him a contract. I think the Knicks were stupid. Kevin Durant right now is the best player in the NBA. It's not even an argument. Anybody that argues that is an idiot. He averages more points than any player in the league. At his position, I think he averages just as much rebounds as anybody in the league. He's averaging more assists than he ever had in his career, which is 5.8 assists a game, which is almost six assists, the same as Steph Curry, Okay who is right there with him. Right now, Kevin Durant is the MVP of the league. That's not what I really want to even get into about how good the Brooklyn Nets are playing right now. They've been unstoppable. Hilariously good. And when I say hilariously is because last night, Atlanta tried to stay in the game, and we know what our best friend over there (laughs) likes to do. He likes to cause trouble, and he likes to open his big mouth. And even open his big mouth to Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant outplayed him. So... It just shows you how good Kevin Durant is and how talented he is. But he was on a show, All of Smoke, Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson show. And uh, I've been saying this over and over again. When Kevin Durant went to the Golden State Warriors, it was Kevin Durant, then the Golden State Warriors. It was never Golden State, then Kevin Durant. It wasn't Steph Curry's team. It was Kevin Durant's team. And nobody ever added him or even said that he was a Golden State Warrior. They never even said he's a Golden State Warrior. Everybody kind of looked on the outside, and that's why I think he left Golden State. I think nobody gave him the respect that he was part of that team. Meanwhile, who won the two MVPs when they went to the finals and won the championship? Kevin Durant did. It wasn't Steph Curry. It wasn't Klay Thompson. It wasn't Draymond Green or any of these guys. So I pulled out a clip, and I want you to hear this. It shows you why... People didn't respect him. I think the reason why he left to Brooklyn. Always, to me, KD and the Warriors. It was never the The Warriors. Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant's a part of that team. And I was looking at it, I was like, hold up. So uh, D. West came the same time I came, but he's a Warrior, and I'm not. (laughs) Makes no sense. JaVale McGee, same way. Like, he's a Warrior. Like, Ian Clark, he was there before me, but he left. He didn't win the second championship with us, but he's a... Like, it didn't make no sense to me. And I'm like... 
the media is just trying so hard to separate this thing. And I was just like, yeah, for what? Like, you didn't do that with LeBron and, and, and D-Wade and Bob. Like, you didn't do no. that with those guys. You didn't do that with KG and, and Paul Pearson. You didn't try to separate them. It's like, oh, why, is it, why are you trying to separate me from the rest of the team? Mm -hmm. And you actually are making this your job, your duty to do so, is to push this narrative every day. People call me wild for calling it out, but I'm just like, no, I think it's corny. You heard it in his own words. Nobody ever gave him the respect when he was a Golden State Warrior. Nobody compared him. Nobody said he was a Golden State Warrior. The press really took shots at him because he jumped ship. He left OKC. He should have never left OKC. I think OKC would have won a championship mm -hmm. with Westbrook. They were a game away or two games. They were three. They, they were, were a three one lead. Yeah. If they went to the finals that year, they would have won the championship. Yeah. If the league actually suspended Draymond Green when they should have. Yep. Initially, the the Thunder probably win that series, and yeah, they I, they could very easily be Cleveland. Yes. He never won a championship with OKC. If he did win a championship with OKC, who knows? Him and Westbrook would probably still be in mm -hmm. OKC right now. But now he's playing with Harden again in Brooklyn, and he's trying to win a championship with another team, uh, something that many players have ever done, win championships with two separate teams. But when you look at Kevin Durant and you look at the talent that he is, there's nobody in the league right now playing as well as him. And I think he's the MVP. It's not even close, okay? It's not, I don't want to hear Steph Curry. I don't want to hear any of the players that you're mentioning to try to compare and contrast of what they're doing. Steph Curry is playing on a team that they're in first place right now. They're back and forth with Phoenix. They're a talented team. Anybody that's going to sit here and tell me Steph Curry is the only good player on that team is ridiculously stupid. They have a lot of talent on Andrew Wiggins is no shoo-in. This guy was the number one pick in the draft six, seven years ago. Draymond Green is one of the best two-way players in the NBA, and he's playing great basketball right now. They have talent on both sides of the ball. They're playing great. And by the way, they're getting Klay Thompson back next week. So I don't want to hear about Steph Curry. Now, I'm not everybody's going to say you hate Steph Curry. I don't like him, but... I can't take away his talent. I can't take away how, how special he is as a three-point shooter. Do I think he's one of the greatest point guards of all time? I think it's ridiculous. There's a post right now of him, Ray Allen, and Reggie Miller. I think those three are the best three-point shooters. And Pistol Pete are the best three-point shooters of all time. Pistol Pete never played with three-point Yeah, we'll one. never know unless they, unless they do some kind of like era-adjusted thing. I think that if he played with a three-point, I think Pistol Pete was one of the and greatest. And maybe that data will become available. Yes. What would have happened with certain distance shots because the NFL did it with sacks before the, the pre-sack era and now that's since 1960. So one of the best the ball NBA, handlers. Yeah, so maybe the NBA will do the same. Pistol Pete was one of the best ball handlers of all time, too. I mean, Jason William talks about him. People try to mimic him and what he did when he was in a league and, and how talented he was. It's just a shame that he did have a long-lasting life in the NBA and practically died on the basketball court. But you look at Steph Curry. Steph Curry's special, okay? There's no question that he is. I would say he's more of a two than he is a, of a one. He's not a point guard. If you want to say he's the greatest two, he's not. Michael Jordan is the greatest two. I'd say if you want to say he's better than Dwayne Wade or Kobe Bryant, then... I don't even know about that, though. Um, I, I, I wouldn't take him all-around game, no. Steph Curry is in the top ten. It's not taking a shot at him. He's just not. But going back into the Brooklyn Nets, they're going to pull away in this division. They started the season off very slow. They're figuring themselves out right mm -hmm. now. Kyrie Irving will be back this year. I do believe Kyrie Irving will step on the courts. And when they get Kyrie Irving back, I don't think anybody's going to beat him. I thought last year was the year for them. Kevin Durant's on another level right now. He's playing on another level. He wasn't on that level. Last year in the no. playoffs, he was. Right. He wasn't playing as well as he's playing right now. Kevin Durant has a whole other objective to winning a championship this year in Brooklyn and New York. And really to knock the New York Knicks out of the limelight. I don't think it will, but 
this is a Brooklyn team made to win and made to win now. You brought uh, LaMarcus Aldridge back, who's playing good basketball right now. They're getting good bench play from some of these young players. I mean, they're fun to watch. The Brooklyn Nets are fun to watch. There's a team in New York that isn't fun to watch right now. And that's the Knicks. I'm so tired of listening to Julius Randle's name get brought up in conversation. Julius Randle took less money this offseason. He did. And I, I give him a lot of credit. He could have taken more money somewhere else. He could have played somewhere else. Nobody would have made him their number one option. Nobody. He was a number three option on any other team. Maybe a number two if he played for the Pelicans or somebody like that. He is not a number one. In my eyes, he's not a number two. He took less money because the Knicks could bring in another superstar to play with some of the players. But he's nothing but a bricklayer. He's an isolation player. He reminds me of a lower-grade Carmelo Anthony. And what I mean by lower-grade, he's not Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony was one of the most dominant offensive players in the league at one point, especially when he was on the Knicks. He won the scoring title with the Knicks. He was a dominant force. He is not Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony never laid up bricks like this man does. Okay, you could build a wall on the bricks that this guy shoots up. All right. He's not the player that Nick fans like and stand behind. He's not a closer. He's not that player that you could give him the ball at the end of the game. We saw that against Atlanta. We saw that in the playoffs. We saw that at the end of the season last year. We're seeing it now. He gets the ball. He can't hit the shot. He can't hit a foul shot. How many air balls have we seen this year from him? I mean, come on. And Kemba Walker. I love Kemba. He's my favorite player. He's done. As an NBA player, maybe as a backup backup, you know, going to a championship team like the Lakers or goes to Phoenix and be the backup of Chris Paul maybe or something or the third option for Chris Paul. Yeah, actually might not be bad. Yeah, I think that would fit for Kemba Walker. He doesn't fit on this team. He doesn't play defense. He's just not the same player he once was, and they lost his job to a bench player. Burks is not even a point guard. He's more of a two. Burks has been handling the ball. He's been starting. And yeah. Derrick Rose has been coming off the bench. Right. And you can't win with Burks running your point as your number one option. You just can't. And Derrick Rose could be the number one option, but he's better off the bench. So if you're a Knicks fan, you're, there's nothing to be happy about. But, I mean, the only thing you could sit back and hope is that this team plays better basketball and, and gains a little bit of momentum as the season progresses. Because if they don't, this team is going to slowly but surely be a lottery team. We expected the lottery team to be Charlotte. Yeah. So it's a terrible season right now. And, and this is supposed to be a good draft, by the way. So when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some hockey conversation. The Islanders, I don't know what's going on with them. We'll get into the Islanders and Barry Trotz speaking out about some of the players on his team. And then they have to play harder. And then, obviously, the New York Rangers that are playing great hockey right now. Gerard Gallant is working and pushing this team on all cylinders. They're not the best defensive team, but even without their best goaltender, they're still playing good hockey. When we come back, we'll get into the Rangers as well, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, Flyman PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every Single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, well, well. We waited for the best for last, and I, I, I do mean hockey. A lot of people don't talk hockey here in New York, especially on WFAN and ESPN, so why not talk and give hockey their own segment? And really, the only team to really talk about in New York is the New York Rangers. 
The Rangers have played great hockey. They're getting scoring from all different avenues. I mean, Panarin's starting to play good hockey. Zabinijad has been unbelievable this year uh, playing two-way hockey. I think he's the best two-way hockey player. I mean, uh, even their young players. Capococco had a seven-game scoring streak. Afeniers look good. Speedy, you're the Ranger fan. What has really turned your level as a Ranger fan into a playoff Ranger team? A lot of different factors that Gerard Gallant has really brought to this team that you're seeing both young and veteran players playing well. The depth for the Rangers that they were supposed to have last year is playing better. Lafreniere is on a very good pace to start his career now that he's had a great season this year to start. And the acquisitions, the new guys that they've brought in, Goodrow, Chris Drury, even somebody like Dryden Hunt, have been very good gems that they found. And again, I know, I'm not expecting Gallant to take it to the Vegas level like he did, but there are similar things that they've done to make this team a, just a different identity as a whole. And they're winning games close now, which has always been a problem for them. And it was a little bit of a problem in the beginning of the season, too. But they're winning close games, and now they're still winning even with Shesterkin out, too, which is proving a lot in terms of the adversity of this team, that a lot of these new guys are starting to come together and really make it work and believe in each other. Absolutely. And we were talking about some of their players. Capococco, who a lot of people thought needed to have a good season to get that extension. Igor Shesterkin, who is unbelievable. Alexei Lafreniere has been unbelievable. Even Gorgiev, he's played well. I know a lot of Ranger fans don't like him. And Adam Fox is, is, is having another season where he's going to be up for Defensive Player of the Year. Now, do I think he's going to win? He's not having the year he had last year. Five goals and 24 assists, 29 points. Fourth right now with defensemen in right. points. I he think. was never the big goal scorer. His assists is where he got most of his points last year, too. And he, his plus minus is nine. I mean, he's on track. He's been unbelievable. He was the third-round pick. Uh, the Rangers got him on a trade a couple of years ago. He's been unbelievable. And the Rangers, there's a lot to be excited if you're a Ranger fan. The team that you can't be excited for, as an Islander fan, you just you sit back and say, what is going on here? What is this team doing wrong with the talent? Now, I, I said it last week. I think the NHL did the Islanders a disservice. They should have canceled the games quicker with the whole COVID situation, how it was spread. But this team is far and away one of the worst teams in the NHL. You talk about Arizona. You talk about even the Krakens have better numbers than them. I mean, Montreal, Ottawa, even Buffalo has more better points than they do. And a team like Boston, who hasn't played well this year, they have 28 points, and they're not even playing good hockey right now. Now, as an Islander fan, and I'm an Islander fan, I can't sit here and say that this team is a playoff-bound team anymore. A matter of fact, it would be a miracle, a miracle for this team to catch up to the Columbus team and the Pittsburgh Penguins, who has 31 points now, who's 13-8. and eight. This Islander team is going to have to go on a 10-game winning streak to even catch up. Their schedule doesn't work in their favor. It really doesn't. Detroit on Tuesday which is probably a loss. They play Boston on Thursday, which is probably a loss. Then they play the Vegas Knights, which is probably a loss. Their next game they probably win is Montreal, and that's not a guarantee, next Monday. Then the Capitals. I mean, their schedule, it's not easy. And they're going to have to start playing good hockey, and they're going to have to start figuring out how to put the puck in the net. Because when they do start putting the puck in the net, they're so far behind in goals, it don't matter if they score three goals in a game. Because they're down 4-3. to three. They're going to have to figure out what their identity is, and it can't be just playing defense. Because l- let me tell you something. Islanders defensively this year have not been a top-10 defense. Barry Trotz's defense since he's been there has been a top-3, top-4 defense in the league. You know where they're ranked right now? 
they're probably ranked 14 or 15 in a league. Which is hard to keep up if you can't possess the puck either. A lot of modern hockey being it's a speed and skill game now with the analytics, a lot of it is puck possession. The, the metrics of the Fenwick, the Corsi, all the other data that they put, look at. If the Islanders don't possess the puck, it's going to be harder for their defense to look like it did in years past because at least the Islanders' offense, while it was never great, it was at least serviceable, and it was good in late in the games. It was good, in the, obviously, in the playoffs against good teams. So at least you had that, and they could score the tough goals. If you're not possessing the puck, it, just like in any other sport, if you're, if you're on the field in football, if your defense is on the field for 45-plus minutes in football, you're not going to go anywhere. And it seems like the Islanders' defense is on that kind of basis on a consistent basis. And with a team that's good has some good young players, but it's still mostly on the older side. It's hard to win that way. Well, I think they're, they're a lot younger than you make them out to be. I mean, their best players are still in their mid-20s. I mean, you talk about Barzell, who hasn't had a good year, and that has a lot to do. They didn't bring an offensive player to play with him on that uh, other side. Uh, again, another season where you haven't gotten the best out of your best player, and, and that scares me as an Islander fan, especially when they were talking about bringing in Vladimir Tarasenko in right. the offseason. Then you added guys like Parisi, who a lot of people thought was leading and Chara, these guys have been absolute failures on this team. They're, they're not the players they thought they were. Maybe they're just, they're old. They're, they've right. aged. And now, you know, you have guys like Aho and Salo. Uh, Aho got hurt the other day, and Chara gets into a fight. Aho gets hurt. Salo, you know, is not playing enough, the young player, because they're playing green, another old player, Chara. You have to play your young players. You have to put more speed on the ice. This is a, the game has completely changed to speed. And the Islanders are not one of the faster faster teams in the NHL. So I don't know. Barry Trotz has spoken out about Bolivia. He actually sat him over the last two games and has a lot to do with his game and his play. You bring Paul Mary back. You give him a four-year extension. He's got, what, one, two goals? I mean, Paul Mary is a guy that should be averaging between 20 and 25 goals a right. season. He is a 30-goal scorer. He's not even going to get anywhere close to that this year unless he goes on a scoring streak. It's weird. He's done well in the playoffs when he came to the Islanders, and he hasn't done well either one of the regular seasons so far. So it's definitely something that the Islanders are stressing about. And they have $18 million after the boy chuck. Could they make a move at the trade deadline that could give them a good offensive play? Yeah, but it might be a little too little too late. Right. And I wouldn't do that. I would wait until next season and then decide what you're going to do with that $18 million. Maybe you drop a player that you re-sign. Paul Mary, maybe you trade him. Maybe he's not a good fit for the Islanders. But you still haven't brought a player that can play with Barzell. Anders Lee has played a little bit better. You see him starting to get his stride back. But that's not saying much, and, and, and this team isn't scoring enough. You know, you see these teams like the Rangers and, and the Devil and all these teams in the Eastern Conference, the Metropolitan Division, which is the hardest division to play. Right. They're all scoring goals, and the Islanders are the worst in the league. The Islanders also might have to consider maybe a just a veteran-for-veteran veteran swap type thing, too, because they still have a, good, a lot of good defensive raw talent. But maybe in order for Ajo and Salo to play more, they trade maybe somebody like a Scott Mayfield or something like that and try to make that void and maybe trade him for, I don't know if you're necessarily going to get a star winger with that, but at least somebody that's a, ready good, for this? a good winger. Go ahead. Right now, the Islanders have one more goal than the Arizona Coyotes. They have one more goal. They have 46 goals to the Arizona Coyotes, 45. The next closest team has 58 goals. Mm -hmm. That's the Chicago Blackhawks. That means they have 
12 more goals than the Islanders do. And I think they only caught up to that as of the last two weeks, too, because when we did the show after Thanksgiving, the Islanders were 10 goals behind the Coyotes. So Their goals against yeah. is not bad. I mean, right now the Rangers are in first place. Shout out to the Rangers. I mean, the Rangers have one less goal than the Islanders. It's unbelievable. And the Islanders that are built on defense, they're built and predicated on defense and goaltending, they're having a horrible season. And Carolina has 55. The Islanders still are amongst the league's best in goals against. But that's not saying much if they can't put the puck in the net. Mm-hmm. And they're leaving Sorokin out to stray. I feel bad for the kid because the kid's averaging, I think, 39 shots a game, 40 shots a game. Yeah. How do you expect this kid to win games if you're not putting the puck in the net? You expect him to have 40 saves a game to shut out a team because you're only getting an average of one goal. Right now, if you look at the stats, he's 6-6, six and six, okay? His goals against, has, he has 39 goals against. His goals against average is 2.53, which is one of the best in the league, okay? And his save percentage is .924. He has three shutouts. The only good, bright thing about the Islanders right now is their goaltending. Is not Semyon Vlamov, who's been horrible this year, by the way. He's 0-5. It's horrible. I don't understand why he's even playing. It doesn't make any sense. The fact that Ilya Sorokin is not playing every single game and they're not giving him points and not giving him goals is just a horrible situation for him. I hope as the season progresses that this kid is going to get he's going to get more goals behind him where they could start winning. I, I want to see the Islanders go on a five, six, seven, eight game winning streak and get back in this race because if the Islanders make the playoffs, they're built for the playoffs. The Rangers aren't built for the playoffs. The Carolina Hurricanes aren't built for the playoffs. These teams, they have good players. They were, they've always made the playoffs. I mean, the Hurricanes have been deep in the playoffs every single year. They can't get over the hump. Carolina's better as an underdog, I think, once they got into more of the favorites. It's when they but they're not really struggle. built. They're still I think they are. It's just a matter of the pressure on them. I think... But we'll see now having a veteran goaltender, too, because they've always had iffy goaltending in the past, too. I think they did better as the underdog, kind of like a team like Nashville. Like Nashville, once they started to become more of the favorites for a while, they started having trouble. They were better, obviously, once the Cup is an eight seed. But once they got into the division winners and, like, the I think one year the President's Trophy, that's when they started to struggle. I think Carolina's kind of in that same identity. When you have a goaltender that has a 2.53 goals against average and a 9.24 save percentage, you should be winning games, okay? You should be. And the fact that he has something in the twos, the way that teams are scoring on it, and their defense is completely failing on them. Yeah. Among among guys that have double-digit starts this year, Jacob Markstrom of the Flames leads in goals against average 1.84. Then it's Tristan Jari, 1.92. Frederick Anderson, 1.97. And Jack Campbell, 1.99. Then it's Shesterkin, 2.05. Rounds up the top five. Mm -hmm. Reimer, uh, 2.05 as well, playing in 14 games. And then Sorokin is 2.53, which is still among qualified guys right outside the top 10 in goals against average. It's so, crazy. So silly. Yeah. It's silly. And he averages more shots than any goalie in the NHL right now. This defensive team, this Barry Trotz defensive team, should be helping this kid. And this kid is still in the top 10 in goals against, still in the top 10 in save percentage. And nobody's going to recognize or even remember this season. They're only going to remember how bad the Islanders are. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Rounding out the show with Debate Wars and Crunch Time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. Yes, I'm not dancing to this, that's for sure. But we are back. Uh, I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, the Blame Man's Petey. I don't want to say Blame Man, but whatever. Uh, remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only 
on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, we always wait to these segments, and we compare and contrast, and we debate things, so I hope you guys enjoy this week's Debate Wars and Crunch Time. Speedy, are you ready? Yep, here we go. This is the Debate Hour. And now, in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a shit? Uh, let's start with some hockey this week. Who is the better New York goaltender, Billy Smith or Mike Richter? Go ahead, Speedy. Like I'm going to take Billy Smith in this one. I, even though Mike Richter's raw goals against average and save percentage are better for his career. Billy Smith has the better adjusted one, which is an analytic that adjusts for the era of the game that they played in. Uh, I think Mike Richter's peak years, he had bet more was more steady in them, but Billy Smith, I think the longevity definitely helps him out too. So I'm going to go with Smith. It's called four championships. Billy Smith won four. Mike Richter won one. That's all I got to say. Billy Smith, to me, was a big part of those championship teams with the Islanders. I know you're going to say Mike Bossy and Bobby Nystrom and, and all the different players that they had over there, but they needed good goaltending, and he was the really the backbone of that defense and that team. So I'm going to go with Billy. Better closer, Francisco Cordero or Houston Street? I'm going to take Houston Street in this one. I think Cord- Cordero had more saves and more strikeouts in his career, but also still had more blown saves as a whole and wasn't as consistent year to year. Houston Street was good with so many different teams. Even when he got older, when he went to the Angels and the Rockies later, he still was pretty steady. And that, that ballpark with Coors Field, very hard to pitch. So I'm going to go with Street. I'm going to go with Houston Street, too. Cordero was a good pitcher. The two seasons that he was unbelievable. He was one of the best closers in baseball, if not the best closer in baseball. But he also played in the time with Mariano Rivera and some of the greats that we saw at the close position. Houston Street, you know what I loved about Houston? He was a big mouth because he wasn't as big and strong as all the other pitchers. Remember, when he came into the league, he was a starter, and it just didn't work as a starter, so they moved him to the the bullpen, and he became an all-star bullpen closer. So I'm going to go with Houston Street. All right, let's go to the NBA. Who's been a better player so far in their career, Kevin Love or LaMarcus Aldridge? I'm going to take LaMarcus Aldridge in this one. I think Kevin Love at the beginning of his career with Minnesota was fantastic. And I think his peak years offensively was better there. But he's not the same defender that LaMarcus Aldridge is, even though he's a good rebounder. I don't think the raw defense is there. And LaMarcus Aldridge's offensive numbers have progressively gotten better throughout his career. They're still strong this year at Brooklyn. Certain years in San Antonio, they were great, too. So I'm going to take Aldridge. I'm going to go with Kevin Love. And, And the reason why is LaMarcus Aldridge was all those years with the Spurs and never won anything. He never won anything. You put him on a good team, and that was a good team. Still very talented. DeRozan was there, and they never got over the hump. And When you're a top-end player and you want to compare and contrast, Kevin Love, he played with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but he still played well. He still played under Kyrie Irving and, obviously, LeBron James, but he still was a big part of that team, especially in the finals against the Golden State Warriors. So I'm going to go with the guy that won championships and was a big part of those championships. I'm going to go with Kevin Love. All right. Last one, NFL. Better cornerback who played at one point for the New England Patriots, Asante Samuel or Ty Law? I'm going to take Asante Samuel in this one. More passes deflected in his career. Both had similar amount of interceptions, 53 to 51, but passes deflected. I think his longevity. Laws was very good, too, with the Jets. He had the 10 interception year, but Asante Samuel with Atlanta and with Philly, where corners usually go to die, he played very well over there, too, at his older age. I'm going to take Samuel. Oh, it's Ty Law. It's not even an argument. Uh, Hall of Fame Ty Law. Asante Samuels is not even in the Hall of Fame. I don't even think he's Hall of Fame bound. What Ty Law did, he he was the shutdown. He he was the first, I think, Revis, the island uh, of law. And everybody said that you had to pass the law 
to beat him. And and nobody could beat Ty Law. He, he was a dominant force everywhere he went. Even when he was on the Jets, he played very well. So I'm going to go with Ty Law. All right, so that will conclude Debate Wars for this week. And now we finish the show with Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. So we'll start this in college football. The Heisman Trophy will be decided tonight. Bryce Young of Alabama, the betting favorite right now. Uh, The other three candidates, Kenny Pickett of Pitt, Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan, and C.J. Stroud, quarterback for Ohio State. So buy or sell. Somebody other than Bryce Young will win the Heisman. Who do you got? I'm going to sell it. I think Bryce Young will win the Heisman, even though I think Hutchinson deserves it more. I I can't see them giving it to a non-quarterback two years in a row. They did it last year with Devontae Smith. And also him playing as well as he did against Georgia, I think, cements it for him. So I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I think Hutchinson should win it. I think he's had the best season. Bryce Young. First of all, Bryce Young plays for a great team, all right? Hutchinson, Michigan, the only reason why Michigan's in the top four and they're in this tournament for the first time since the tournament even opened up yep. is because of Hutchinson. So I'm going to go with Hutchinson. All right, buy or sell. All three of Stephon Diggs, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin will have 100-plus receiving yards. I'm going to buy it. I, the Bills secondary without Tredavious White is definitely concerning, and I think Brady spreading the ball around will be able to get their ball to both of those targets very well. Levi Wallace, more of a slot corner, has to play the outside a lot more, which I think will definitely serve for Godwin well. And Tampa's secondary is still trying to get back into things, so I think Diggs does well, too. I'll buy it. I'm going to sell it. I, I think that w- when you look at the Buffalo Bills right now, and the only reason why I'm, gonna, I, I'm going to say that is because I think Buffalo needs this game. This is a very important game. This is not a game that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers need to win. They can lose and still make the playoffs. They could still be the number one seed. The only reason why I'm going to say no is Buffalo's going to have to play a good game and Buffalo's going to have to win this game. I'm going to sell it. So buy or sell, Luis Castillo will be a New York Yankee. I'm going to sell it. I think the Reds are going to hang on to him. I think they're going to give him another chance just because I, I don't think they trusted the rest of their pitching depth last year. They were more of an offensive team after being more of a pitching team in 2019 and 2020. I think they need him to going forward, and he turned it around in the second half, so I'll sell it. Ship him and deliver him. Yes, I'm going to buy it. He's going to be a Yankee. Once this lockout is over, I think the Yankees are right now trying to figure out a negotiation deal where it makes sense for the Cincinnati Reds. They're going to rebuild again. And don't be surprised if Joey Votto sometime this season is going to be traded too. Yeah, they've had a hard time moving his contract. Yeah. Yes, three years left on yeah, this contract. Yeah, it's just a lot of money because it was backloaded. I, I think somebody who's a playoff-bound team that needs a player that can play first base and give him power and hit for average, uh, I think he could be gone. I think they're going to rebuild, so I am going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. Steph Curry will break Ray Allen's three-point record in tonight's game against the 76ers. He needs 10 three-pointers to do it. I'm going to sell it. I think it'll be close. I, I think 10's a bit of a stretch. The Sixers are a good defensive team. I know Ben Simmons not being there definitely makes it a little weaker, but I think 10 is a lot to expect. I can see 7, 6, something like that, and I think the next game they'll break. I'm going to sell it. Uh, I think uh, the next game, definitely. I, I, to score 10, 10 three-point shots in a game, it's very, very hard. I mean, not hard for Steph Curry. He's done it a couple of times this year, but I, I think it's going to be hard tonight against a 76er team and a Doc Rivers defensive team, so I'm going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Lamar Jackson will have more rushing yards than Nick Chubb in their matchup this week. I- I'm going to buy it. I think they're going to game plan more for him to run against a base defense like that. You didn't see them in the first meeting run with him a lot. They were trying to stretch the field against the Browns secondary because they were struggling. I think they run it with a lot more with him in this game. The Ravens run defense is still very good. Kareem Hunt is back. I don't know if Chubb gets the same amount of rushing yards in this game. I will buy it. I'm selling it. Uh, to me, what Chubb's need to do, they need to run the ball. They cannot depend on Baker Mayfield or any of those guys that are going to be playing at the quarterback position. They need to run the ball. I think Chubb's is going to be a big part if they if the Browns have a chance to win, so I am going to sell it. All right, so the, today is the Army-Navy game, which is normally a game where there's not many passing attempts. Uh, both teams love to run the ball. Army, power, run, Navy with the exotic running. So buy or sell. One team will at least have at least five passing attempts. 
I'm going to buy that. So I, I think with this game, you're going to have to throw the other team off. You know what I mean? So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think Navy has a shot. Army's not going to do it. If Navy has a shot to do it, maybe with shovel passes. But I think they're going to do more of the receiver reversing type things like they did against Cincinnati. When they hung tough against Cincinnati and almost beat them, the only undefeated team left in college football. All right. Buy or sell. Buck Showalter will be the next New York Mets manager. I'll buy it. I think it's inevitable at this point with the, the hype that it has around them that they want the veteran guy. Most of the candidates they're interviewing are other bench coaches. Please, God, help it not be Brad Austin. But I think Billy Epler's not really going to his Angels ways as much. So Epler and Showalter are good friends. Steve Cohen wants a veteran player. Uh, Max Scherzer speaks highly, and he says uh, Buck would be a great solution to the New York Mets as the management and a manager on that bench. When Max speaks, they're going to do. So Buck will be the manager of this team. I thought it was going to be Friday, but I think it might be a little bit later. But uh, Buck Showalter will be the manager of the New York Mets. All right, buy or sell. Both Matthew Stafford and Kyler Murray will have 250-plus yards passing in their matchup this week. Uh, I'm going to sell it. I think this is going to be a lower-scoring game than a lot of people expect. I think Kyler Murray still trying to ease his way back into it. I think the, the Rams' run defense getting weaker in recent weeks. I think they're going to try to run the ball. And I think the Rams will be able to run the ball successfully, too. I think you're going to see a big game from Daryl Henderson in this one. The Cardinals, their only flaw mainly with their defense, are certain games where they haven't stopped the run. So I'm going to sell it. I'm buying it. I, I think it's going to happen. First of all, Kyler Murray is back. He played very well last week. I think he's going to air out the ball. He's going to get all his players involved. Kirk, who I think is going to be very good in the slot, especially against this team, this Rams defense. And by the way, this Rams team is going to be able to throw the ball as well, so I'm going to buy it. All right, buy or sell. There's a lot of rumors with relocation with the Coyotes, potentially. Maybe to Houston. Buy or sell. They will be forced to relocate. I'm going to buy it. I think it's inevitable for a while. Arizona is really not the hockey community. I know it's a little better than it was, but Houston is definitely a city that, that has a lot of money. Fourth most populated city. I could definitely see somewhere in Canada as well. I don't think hockey would fit over there. I don't know if it necessarily will either, but I think the population definitely helps. I don't know if it's necessarily Houston that will get it, but I'm going to buy that they're out of Arizona. I would buy they're out of Arizona, but I don't think they're going to Houston. Okay, As big as Houston is, I don't think it's a hockey place. It's more basketball, football. It wouldn't fit over there when it comes to hockey. I can't see it to be a good place for hockey. But nevertheless, uh, it could happen, so I'm going to buy it. All right, one more. If Darren Waller does play for the Raiders, both him and Travis Kelsey will have 75-plus receiving yards and a touchdown. I'm going to buy that. I think Kelsey will not have be as big of a factor as he was in the first meeting, but I still think he'll get the yards because the Raiders' safeties will have to do a better job in terms of stopping the run with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire back as well. They're going to have to compensate for that. And the Chiefs' middle of the field outside of the Honey Badger and a rookie in Nick Bolton who's played well has had trouble with tight ends. I will buy it. I never realized that Kelsey was having a great season until I checked out his numbers when I thought he was in that. He's just a little streakier than usual. Yeah, but he has 800 and some right. yards. He's going to have 1,000 yards this year. He's going to have about 10 or 11 touchdowns. It's pretty amazing what Travis Kelsey does. One of the greatest tight ends we've ever seen. Yeah. He really is special. But I'm going to buy it. I think both players. I think Wall is the best tight end in football. That's my opinion. Uh, especially with his size and his ability. I, I don't think they use him enough. I think this game, especially against that secondary, they're going to be able to outplay and outduel the secondary of the Kansas City Chiefs. So I am going to buy it. So there you go. Uh, crunch time and debate wars. I'd like to thank Shane Hallam for joining us early in the show. He was awesome. Islander fans, hopefully this team starts to go on a winning streak and gets this team back into a playoff run because you don't want to see the Rangers make the playoffs when this team, the Islanders, were the favorites by a lot of people. Hockey Digest had them as the favorites of winning the Stanley Cup. Magazines, newspapers had the Islanders. You had the Islanders. I did. I had Islanders over the Blues in yep. the Cup. Yeah. I had the Islanders going into the playoffs and, and going to the NHL Finals too. I just, I don't know what's going on with this team. It's not bad. 
Barry Trotz, ladies and gentlemen. So stop throwing him off a ledge, okay? Shout out to all the fans from Long Island, New York. Demarius Thomas's family. May he rest in peace. Everybody, keep listening to our show. Listen to the Sports Loudmouth. Go to the Worldwide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Until next week, this is Errol Marks and the great Speeder Peter saying goodnight. We'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.